I'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This morning we're in verses 1 through 18. 1 Corinthians 9 verses 1 through 18. I want to begin with a, a question. Maybe you think it's a softball question. What would you be willing to give up for Jesus? What would you be willing to give up for Jesus? Most likely your immediate answer is what? Everything. I would give up everything for Jesus. I would do anything for Jesus. That's my answer too. But of course, that, the answer is not that simple, is it? Uh, and it's not a very true answer either. Because we have to recognize our, the sins we commit every single day. Basically, we're saying, I'm not willing to give this up for you, Christ. I want to keep this for myself. This question reminds me of a, uh, another question that was asked, or, or an answer that was given, really. It reminds me of one of the great rock hits of the early 90s by a band called Meatloaf. So maybe already the refrain of the song is echoing through your mind. Maybe you can tell me, what, what are you thinking? I would do anything for love. That's right. I would, such passion in his voice, too. It is a great song. I love it. I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love. But I won't do that, right? And we're naturally, actually, we're led to wonder, what is it that he won't do for love? He would do anything for love, but he won't do that one thing. Now, actually, in my research of this song, I found out that's a misunderstanding of the song. Did you know that? Was I the only one that didn't know that? Meatloaf is actually saying uh, things like he wouldn't ever forget his beloved. Uh, he wouldn't ever have anyone else like her and so on. So he really is saying he would do anything for love. Anything. Well, we're led by our passage of Scripture to consider another question about our love particularly for one another, and what it is we would be willing to do for one another. So consider this question, what am I willing to give up for the sake of my brother or sister in Christ? And the New Testament speaks to us not in simply generalities, as we ought to love all Christians, but particularly the application comes to us here in this local fellowship. These commands are for us to bear with one another. So as you look around the room at your fellow brothers and sisters who are members of this church, we ought to ask ourselves, what am I willing to give up for him, for his sake? What am I willing to give up for her sake? What am I willing to give up so that others can more fully treasure Jesus Christ? In these verses, Paul is saying, Essentially, I would give up anything so that you, Corinthians, might be able to treasure Christ more. So that you might prize him more for your sanctification, for your well-being in the gospel. And we are confronted by the fact that all too often we cling to our own rights and privileges and liberties to the harm and detriment of the others around us. So with that in mind, let's look at our passage, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 18. Follow along with me as I read. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? 
Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it, not, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. Our Heavenly Father, as we have heard your word read, and now as we hear it preached, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that you would move by your Holy Spirit through your word to convict us of sin and unrighteousness and to give us grace in the gospel and build us up. Use your word to produce your fruit in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, having called the Corinthians to begin foregoing their liberties, remember that in our previous chapter, chapter 8, he calls them to forsake, forego their liberties for the sake of their brothers and sisters. Paul now defends his own rights and his own liberties as an apostle of Christ. However, he's not doing so in order to, to demand these rights or to claim these rights as his own. Rather, he's showing the Corinthians how he willingly laid down his rights for their sake so as not to put up an obstacle in the way of the gospel. So Paul is not calling the Corinthians to do anything he hasn't been willing to do himself. It's not a burden to Paul. Rather, he sees it as his reward to be able to lay his rights down for the sake of his brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we have a, a culture of demanding our rights, of entitlements, right? We, 
we prize those rights that we have. We have the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And if anyone begins to try to infringe upon those rights, we stand up. We reject against that. We have a right to vote. Or we have a right to free speech. We have a right to the exercise of our free exercise of religion. And the moment someone begins to fringe upon those rights, what do we do? We, we react against that. We know that's not right. We have these rights. We're entitled to these things. And so we rightly try to grab hold of those rights and privileges. Well, in, in some ways, it's similar to the Corinthian culture of Paul's day. They demanded their rights. We've already seen how the, the Christians in Corinth have done this throughout the first several chapters of Corinthians. Remember, they, they made it a practice of suing one another, of bringing lawsuits against one another to demand what was supposed to be theirs, to demand what they deserved. Just in our last chapter, we saw that these stronger brothers who wanted to eat the meat that was sacrificed to idols wanted to hold tightly to their rights, even if it damaged their brothers and sisters. So here we see our cultures are similar in demanding the things that are due to us, in demanding our rights. And so as Paul calls these Corinthians to lay down their rights, these liberties that they have, they may begin asking, by what authority are you telling us to lay down our rights? By what authority are you, you telling us to lay down our liberties for the sake of others? There were some false teachers in and around Corinth, and they were saying Paul was a second-rate apostle. He's not the real deal. He really doesn't have the authority of the other apostles. So it would be like one who demands to be called a doctor, even though he doesn't have the credentials for it. He got an online degree somewhere, and yet he wants everyone to recognize his authority. He uses the title, they would say, but he doesn't have the credentials of a real apostle. And so Paul begins in these first 14 verses by defending himself. He defends that he is an apostle, that he does have authority, and he defends that he has certain rights and privileges as an apostle. So look at how he defends himself. In verse 1, he says, Am I not free? Do I not have rights and liberties as well? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Yes, I am an apostle, Paul says. And really, he's, he's going beyond simply saying, I am an apostle. He says, I have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, Paul is somewhat unique in this way because Paul not only saw the risen Lord Jesus, he saw the exalted Lord Jesus in all of his glory. You remember the story, Paul was on the way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute Christians, on his way to imprison them, and Jesus appeared to him. In all of his glory, the, the, the brightness of his glory shone down and Paul fell down. He was temporarily blinded by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have seen the Lord, Paul says. Do I not have the credentials of being an apostle? I have seen the Lord and he has called me into his service. But not only is Paul an apostle, he also mentions that he has a special relationship with the Corinthians. So they should recognize his authority. 
both because he's an apostle, but also because of his special relationship to them. He says, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So Paul has a special relationship to the Corinthians. He had invested his life into theirs. From very early on in the story uh, of Acts, we read that Paul made his way to, to Corinth. And while he was there, he was daily reasoning with the Jews in the temples, teaching them that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. You'll remember the story. Uh, he, he faced much rejection. The Jews continued to reject his message. And so he said, fine then, I'm not, I'll go to the Gentiles then. I, I shake my, my sandals free of the dust of your temple, and I will now go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. It was there that the Lord also encouraged Paul and said, do not fear, keep preaching boldly, keep preaching the gospel, for I'm with you and I will not let any harm come to you. Keep preaching the gospel. Well, several people came to know the Lord. Crispus, one of the leaders of the synagogue and his household, came to faith in Jesus Christ and were converted, were baptized. And the scripture says many came to believe as a result of Paul preaching the gospel. He had a special relationship with them. He wrote several letters to them, made several visits to them, investing his life into their life. So they should recognize his, his authority over them, to, to call them to lay down their rights. He defends himself. But then notice he defends also his rights and liberties as an apostle. He has certain rights. What are those rights? Look in verses 4, 5, and 6. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Or what about the right to get married? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife with us? He mentions that other apostles had wives. The brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ had wives that they took along. Even Peter had a believing wife that went with him in all of his travels and his preaching of the gospel. Do I not have the same right that the other apostles have? And he, then he comes to this right of not working for a living, living in verse 6. Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? In other words, he and Barnabas too had a right to make their living by the gospel. That as they preached the word, others would minister to them and provide for their needs. You know, it was actually for this reason, part, partly, that the false teachers were saying that Paul was not a real apostle. The other apostles make their living by the gospel. Why don't you, Paul? You must be a second-rate apostle. Paul defends his right to do so, though. And he gives several arguments for why he has the right. He first gives some common sense appeals, right? The, the soldier, he gets paid to serve as a soldier. He doesn't serve by his own uh, work. The farmers, shouldn't farmers get a part of, of their crops? And shepherds, shepherds, shouldn't they partake of part of what they produce? Then he also gives some scripture of, scriptural appeals in verses 9 and 10. It is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? 
He, Paul says, no, God is speaking for our sake. The law is speaking ultimately for our sake there. The, the passage is found in Deuteronomy 25. And in Deuteronomy 23, 24, and 25, there are laws concerning treating other people fairly. And so this, this broad, uh, these broad collection of laws are referring to the well-being of people, treating people fairly. And it throws in there in Deuteronomy 25, do not muzzle an ox as he's treading out the grain. And Paul applies this to himself and to the other apostles as ministers and said, if God is concerned for oxen, how much more is he concerned for those who are his children, those who he has called into his service? It was written for our sake. The plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. He says, we've sowed spiritual things among you. Shouldn't we receive some material benefits from this? And lastly, he says, well, he also says the temple servants and priests. He gives this example from the Old Testament of those who partook of the sacrifices within the temple. But lastly, he even says that this is what the Lord has commanded in verse 14. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. This is a side point, but uh, it reminds us that this is a teaching of the Lord Jesus. We're not exactly sure what uh, Paul is referring to here. Perhaps when Jesus sent out the 70 and, and said, don't take, uh, take very little with you, because as they went throughout the different towns and villages, it would be the people who received their word that would provide for their needs. They would care for them. They would make their living through the proclamation of the gospel. It's, it's always interesting to me what uh, pastors will sometimes say during funerals, particularly how pastors will get on their hobby horses, tangential hobby horses at funerals. I remember one time at a funeral, um, one of the pastors that was there began uh, giving a defense for speaking in tongues and uh, the, the spiritual operation of the gifts. I'm like, what, what are you doing here? How is that ministering to the family? In another case, I was uh, sitting up on, in, at front and there were a couple other pastors involved and they started giving a defense why pastors should not be paid for, for preaching the gospel. And I'm awkwardly sitting up there as a full-time paid pastor. Like, where are you, where are you getting this? Why are you coming up with this? Well, Ultimately, they, they would point to, to this and say, Paul gave up his right, and therefore preachers must give up their right to make a living for the gospel. But this is exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying here. He's saying they should make their living from the gospel. It was commanded by the Lord Jesus himself. So perhaps it was when Jesus sent out the 70, or maybe it was an oral tradition that had been passed down. But Paul says it's a command from the Lord that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Well, all of this reminds us that Paul is intimately aware of his rights and liberties as an apostle. He knows what he's entitled to as an apostle. And he's making sure that the Corinthians understand his rights as well. You, you need to understand, I am an apostle, and I have a right to eat and drink. I have a right to take along a believing wife. I have a, light, a right to be paid and make a living by the proclamation of the gospel. You know, we too often are intimately aware of our own rights and privileges. We're well aware of what we are entitled to. Right? If, if there's one, in, one, for instance, I can think of is these class uh, 
class lawsuits that take place, class action lawsuits. I remember I was a part of one with Amazon one time. I didn't know where it came from, but you better be sure when I saw that I was entitled to something, I wanted to take advantage of that. I got a $15 gift card to Amazon. We're intimately aware of our rights and want to take every advantage of those rights and liberties. Consider some of the rights, liberties, and privileges you have. Consider the right that you have over your own property. You don't take too kindly if someone steals your property. And if someone does steal your property, you want to get it back and you want justice to be served. Maybe you want to be recompensed for your loss. You're well aware of your right to happiness, the pursuit of happiness. No one should infringe upon that. The right to your own money, to do with your money what you want to do. Have you ever considered how time is a privilege and it's a right? You, you, for the most part, you get to do what you want to with your time. Especially that, that open time, that, that free time or leisure time. Some of you are like, what leisure time are you talking about? Well, you have the right to do with it what you desire. And no one can take that from you. Ultimately, you have the right to say, no, I can't spend my time doing that. No, I can't spend my time doing that. I'll spend my time doing this. Well, consider how you use these rights and privileges. How is it that you use your property or your money? How is it that you use your time? Because how we use these things and how we guard these things, hold them closely to us, demonstrates how we view them. Do we primarily want to use them for our own benefit, for our own well-being, for our own happiness, or for our own pleasure? Or do we seek to use them for others and for the sake of of the gospel. Ultimately, what these things reveal, how we use these rights, these privileges, they, they could reveal idols of our own hearts. They reveal those things which are most precious to us. And if we are using them wrongly, if we are either placing them in the place of God, or if we are using them for our own selfish benefits rather than for the benefit of others, we may be guilty of breaking the greatest command and the second which is like, like it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. How we use these things can show us how we are breaking these commands. How we are not loving God as we should. How we are not loving our neighbors as we should. Well, Paul defends these rights. But he does so not in order to claim them for himself. He does so in order to show how he had denied himself. Paul first defends himself, but second, he denies himself. In verses 12 and verse 15, Paul was intimately aware of his rights, but he was voluntarily negligent of their use. He knows them, but he doesn't use them. Look at verse 12b. We endure, uh, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights. 
Paul is entitled to all of these things, and he says, I will deny myself. I will lay them down for your sake. Now, we look at that, maybe. Our world looks at that, at least, and says, why would you waste your rights? Why would you lay down something that you're entitled to? It doesn't make any sense. It's contrary to our world's way of doing things. Like me and that Amazon gift card. I wanted to make sure I took advantage of that right. Well, evidently, what had happened was that Paul was changed by meeting Jesus. Right? On the road to Damascus, when Paul met Jesus, he was changed. He was temporarily blinded, but his eyes were opened forever to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. He had a changed direction to his life. The patterns of his life changed. His desires changed. And this is what happens in the gospel. This is what happens in the gospel. When someone comes into confrontation with who Jesus is and Jesus reveals himself to them, they are changed from the inside out. It's called regeneration. Right? We are dead in sin. Paul, when he met Jesus, he was dead in his sins and transgressions. He was blind to the truth of the gospel. But when he met Jesus, all of that changed. When he understand, understood who Jesus was, all of that changed. The blind see and the dead are raised to life. And so Paul, who was once greedy and claiming his rights and once grasping after his rights, now is gracious in letting them go. Has this change occurred in your life? Do you, as you look over your rights and your liberties, do you recognize yourself as greedily holding on to your rights? Looking merely for your own interests, selfishly looking for what you want to do, your own pleasures? Or do you find yourself more and more letting things go for the sake of others? Laying down your privileges, laying down your rights in order that someone else might grow in the gospel. Well, Paul is doing nothing original here. What is he doing but following the example that's laid before him in Christ? Everything he is doing is consistent with the gospel of grace. You see, there's nothing we can do to be saved in and of ourselves. We, we can't climb up to heaven, right? There's, there's no amount of work we can do to get up there. Remember rock climbing years ago. It was an indoor rock climbing facility, nothing too dangerous. But I was climbing up. I climbed probably 20 or 30 feet up. And when I got up, it was time to go back down, but I couldn't go back down. My forearms were throbbing in pain, and I couldn't let go. I ended up just falling all the way down. Hurt my foot really bad. But if you would imagine the wall we would have to scale to get to heaven, there is no amount of effort we can put forth to scale the wall that leads to heaven. There's, there's no amount of effort we could put into it. Maybe we might brag that we're higher than others, but we still have a million feet to go to reach God. The obstacle that we have in meeting God is insurmountable. It's impossible that we could ever reach God by our own efforts. 
And yet Christ came down to us. In his grace, Christ came down and said, It is finished. I have done it. Christ came down and said, I will give my life for yours. Christ came down in flesh and blood and makes atonement for our sins. Christ came down and says, Put your finger here in my wounds. See that I have done it for you. Christ comes down in the preaching of the gospel and meets us here by His Spirit. Christ comes down in the sacraments of baptism and the supper, in the bread and in the cup, and says, this is my body broken for you. And this is my blood poured out for you. He has torn down every hindrance, every obstacle for us on the way to the Father, and He has done it by laying down His own rights and privileges for us, laying down His very life so that you could have life. And now Paul, having been changed by this gospel, willingly lays down his own rights for the sake of others. Well, why would he do it, though? We see that he defends himself and then denies himself, but why does he give up these liberties? Well, he describes his self-denial in verses 12, and then also in verses 15 to 18. He's describing why it is that he's willing to do this. Why is he willing to give up these rights, these things that he's entitled to? Well, first, we have to remember his instructions to them in verse 8. His instructions to the Corinthians, lay down your rights for others. And so he is serving as an example to them. So the first reason he gives for giving up his rights is that he's giving an example to the believers. He's not calling them to do anything that he hasn't done himself. He's laying down his rights. And consider, consider these reasons for your own rights and privileges. You might wonder, why should I give up my rights and privileges for the sake of others? Why should I lay down my liberties? Well, here's the first reason, as an example to the believers. Think about those who have made some of the biggest impacts in your life. Was it necessarily the things that they said? Or was it the godly example that they set in their lives? I will never forget a woman over in Red Oak named Edna Booth. I went to her house one day and her eyes were filled with tears. What, what's wrong? What, what, what happened? And she said, nothing happened. I was just having my prayer time. Her, her example of faithful and passionate prayer will never leave me. She was living by example. And so Paul, setting this example of laying down his rights for the Corinthians, will speak more than his words even. So why should you lay down your rights and privileges? As an example to the believers. To encourage others, to stir them up, to lay down their rights and privileges as well. But second, another reason Paul lays down his rights is a contrast to the false teachers that were in Corinth. Look at verse 12a. Paul says, If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Now he may be talking some about the other apostles, but I think it's more likely he's also talking about the false teachers who would exercise their authority over the Corinthians and claim their rights and hold tightly to their rights and demand their rights from the Corinthians. 
Paul says, it's even more so for me that I I have this authority over you, and yet I'm going to lay it all down. And what a contrast this would give between the false teachers and Paul. The false teachers who clung to their rights and Paul who gladly laid his rights down. It reminds me of a couple of characters in The Lord of the Rings. Gollum and Bilbo. There's a a big contrast there. You remember Gollum is this, this creature. And he yearns for his ring. He yearns for it. He clings tightly to it. He doesn't want anyone else to have it. He, he's ugly. I, I think, too, his, his, his facial features and his appearance is really reflective of, of who he is inside, isn't it? Of his heart. And this is how it is in our lives as well. Think about those who you know who are so greedy. They want everything all to themselves. And isn't it ugly? Think about you at your worst. In in your relationships with those you love. Those instances at your worst where you are just greedy. And isn't it ugly? And yet Paul is showing us this contrast. How beautiful is it for someone to lay down their rights for someone else? How beautiful is it when someone sacrifices for the good of someone else? Such a huge contrast. If you will lay down your rights, it will show a great contrast between you because of the grace of God at work in you and who you used to be in selfishly clinging to your privileges. A third reason Paul gives is to not make an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Again, in verse 12, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He's talking about stumbling blocks, those things that trip people up. It's the image of a pathway with a ditch that has been cut right through it. So remember, uh, Rogers Road months ago was washed out by that huge storm. And if you were driving down that road and you weren't aware of it, There'd be a huge gulf and you'd fall off the road and you would be in a huge mess. Well, Paul is saying, I don't want to put any sort of cut or ditch or stumbling block in the road of the gospel. He's picturing the path of the brothers and sisters as being a way according to the gospel. And he doesn't want to make them stumble. He doesn't want to trip them up. He goes on further, we'll see next week in verses 19 and following, talking about how he lays down his rights for the sake of unbelievers as well. And so Paul wants there to be this distraction-free gospel. This gospel, he wants to be a smooth road where people can be encouraged in it, built up in it, and he doesn't want to put any stumbling block in the way of the gospel. We talked about this some last week. You know, consider how are your rights hindering others in the gospel? How are you claiming certain rights and liberties and it damages your brothers or sisters in Christ? Have an eye for them rather than to your own needs. But finally, the fourth reason Paul gives for why he lays down his rights as a reason for boasting. Verses 15 through 18 He's made no use of this rights. He's not not writing that he should secure such provisions. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For I I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. 
Necessity is laid upon me. He has to preach the gospel. He, he has to. He will no matter what. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do it of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with this stewardship. So he says, what is his reward then? In preaching this gospel voluntarily, free of charge, what is his, what is his reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. This is his reason for boasting. He, in other words, he glories in being able to offer the gospel free of charge, a hindrance-free gospel. Isn't it interesting how we often view it as a burden to give up our rights and privileges? Paul said in the last chapter, I'd be willing to never eat meat again if it causes my brother to stumble. And I'm thinking, wow, I love a cheeseburger. And I would view it as a great burden to give up that liberty and that right. We view it as a burden to give up our rights for our brothers and sisters. We, we, we may do something and someone says, oh, how sacrificial of you. How good of you, that person is so humble and righteous that they would be willing to put themselves out for me. And Paul views it as a reward, as something appealing, as something he desires to be able to lay down his rights for his brothers and sisters in the Lord. Many of you may know that our son and uh, really, my nephew as well, they have peanut allergies. And the Rachel made a huge point of this last week in our care group meeting. That when, when it comes to a person you love, l- laying down a rider privilege such as peanuts is nothing. W- when you recognize that this rider, this privilege, might do significant damage to someone you love, You don't view it as a sacrifice at all. It's not a burden at all. It's not a loss if you put one thing down in order to pick something else up, which is of much greater worth. And you see, what we ultimately need here is not simply just to start giving up rights and privileges for one another. We should do that. We should make a practice of it. But ultimately, what we need is a change in our affections for one another that we might look upon one another with such concern, with such love, that laying down any right or privilege would not be a burden, but it would be a reward. What would it be like to love one another in that way? Where we would see it as something to glory in, to be able to lay something down for someone else. What would it be like to give a gift and that be more pleasurable than receiving one. In the TV show, Little House on the Prairie, gets lots of airtime in our house. The Ingle family falls on hard times, but it's Mary's birthday, one of the daughters. And so her father, Charles, sells one of his most treasured possessions, his fiddle. And he gets five measly dollars for it. But he loves Mary so much, he would rather give it up than to see her go without a present on her birthday. 
Well, the time comes for Mary to open up her gift. The family and friends are all around the table. When she slowly pulls the top off of the box, she looks down and she's not surprised in the least. Because what she lifts out and what is revealed to us is not her gift, but the very fiddle that her dad had sold the day before. And you see the tears welling up in Charles's eyes. And do you know why tears are welling up at his eyes? Not because he got his fiddle back, but because he recognized the love that his daughter had for him. He recognized her love for him overcame any desire for some gift. See, he willingly gave up his fiddle for her and she willingly gave up her gift for him, outdoing one another in showing honor because their love for one another was so deep. And in both cases, it was love for the other which overruled their desires for their own rights, for their own privileges. And brothers and sisters, this is what we are called to within our fellowship. This is what we are called to, to lay down our rights and liberties for one another. For Christ himself gave up the most precious thing of all for us, his very life. And you know, Christ had no trouble doing it because of his great love for us. His love for us outweighed his love for his own life. And then when we receive his love, when we receive his spirit, we are enabled to love like him. And our love will lead us to do things that the world thinks are foolish, like laying down our rights because of the greater joy of seeing a brother or sister built up in Christ. So let me ask you again, Christian, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to to give up for the greater joy of seeing someone prize Christ more? May God give us that as our reward. Let's pray together.